Welcome to the Bucket Problem, episode 27, brought to you by Homefield Apparel and PointsBet, and a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, Dave Sandbender, and this is the one where we have to talk about the men's basketball team. I'm sorry, but it's just, we're here. It's, uh, it, uh, we're now over a week removed from Michigan winning the Big Ten football championship. Uh, Michigan six and four. We, we got a, we got to talk about it. So I am joined by Alex and Dan tonight because uh, Dan's here. We've got some uh, recruiting stuff to catch up on because uh, apparently it's signing day today. Probably if you're listening to this might be, might've been yesterday. Um, so we're going to catch up on recruiting, catch up on men's hoops and uh, do some bull picks so that there's something to feel joy about other than recruiting. Um, yes. I will, uh, I will be reading off all of the, uh, paid insider information, um, during this podcast. So if you don't pay for recruiting sites, um, I will be stealing <laughs> their information later on, listen to all of our ads, um, to make sure that you get every single recruiting nugget that I will be stealing from scout on three and 24 seven. Dan will be booted from all of these services by the, uh, <laughs> by the time this podcast is over, including scout, which no longer exists. Uh, yeah, uh, Alex, it's been a couple of weeks since you've been on the podcast because you uh, got to enjoy a vacation down in Florida for a little bit. So uh, I figure we should go to you first for our big mood of the week because, uh, yeah, it's been a little while since we've gotten to hear from you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Um, it's actually kind of funny. I planned this Florida vacation in small part due to my desire to avoid the Ohio state game. Like <laughs> I went to the game in 2019 and stood in like in the upper row of the stadium and watched that all unfold. Um, told myself I would not be going to an Ohio state again, that I didn't want to watch it. Uh, 2020 season did not go well, obviously. And then 2021, you know, I came in with low expectations and everything and, you know, I think that was pretty much a consensus among the three of us. But yeah, this team, um, quite possibly the best Michigan team I can remember well, or at least the most accomplished, even ahead of the playoff. Um, I wound up leaving. Yeah. Well, 2003, that I, I do remember that team. And that team had another signature win over Ohio State in the top five matchup, won the Big Ten, played in the Rose Bowl. Um, it's a long time ago. That's well before dance time. Um, but yeah, so I I wound up. <laughs> we should, we should I, start off this podcast every time just like reading off our ages. That's what to, you uh, guys do, basically. <laughs> I, I just want to continue to tell myself I'm young, even though I have a bald spot now. You know, it, it is what it is. But oh, anyways, wow. I, um, that's the story of how I watched person. the uh, 2021 Ohio State game in the Indy area Applebee's by the most decrepit um strip mall I had, or mall I had ever seen. Uh, but yeah, what a great win. How fun was that? I mean, I haven't had a chance to talk about it in the pod. I've listened to you guys talk about it, obviously, but to see a Jim Harbaugh team push around uh, an Ohio state team, number two in the country, destined for the playoff, like that Ohio state team played at least decently on offense, but man, yeah, Michigan really controlled that game. And yeah, Michigan football is back. We're back. Jim finally delivered. All it took was for the four of us to stop believing in him. And uh, yeah, I, yes. <laughs> right. So yeah. Anyways, to, to kind of wrap this up, I was down in Florida um, 
with my girlfriend and then my dad and his buddies were vacationing independently of us. And I, I got to talk to them, um, you know, about the game, about the program. I've been going to games since I was a little kid. I've, you know, they're my dad's friends from college. So they're all huge, you know, alumni fans. Um, and one of them asked me, uh, and I'm paraphrasing here, if that win over Ohio state meant as much to our generation of, you know, younger grads as, it did theirs, you know, kind of the boomer generation. And I said that it meant more like it's been a long time since Michigan has accomplished what this team has already accomplished. And I know in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking forward to Georgia and potentially Alabama or Cincinnati and talking about them. But yeah, I've just been celebrating what, um, you know, this team has already done. I think that Ohio state game and that Iowa game were two of the biggest wins in recent program history. Um, Obviously the Ohio state game, but winning the big time means something to me still too. Like, I mean, with the playoff era, I feel it's kind of been de-emphasized and maybe say ESPN's coverage or national college football coverage. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Teams play for conference championships still. I mean, we have the playoff committee reading off the top six over here guys, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens moving forward. That conference title means a lot to me that went over Ohio state means a lot to me. And yeah, Thank goodness Ward did not fire Jim. Yeah, which which none of us ever advocated yeah, for. Him none of do. us wanted that. None yeah. of us were thinking about potentially <laughs> replacing him with a different coach. Uh, no, we never lost the faith in. Uh, Definitely Mr. didn't Harbaugh. name any group chats after that. <laughs> Wasn't repeatedly using a certain emoji. Yeah, none of it's, that it's a good thing we've never staked our credibility on anything um, because <laughs> the, the the only through line of this podcast is just us being so wrong about everything. Um, so. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I remember talking at length about why this team was a basketball team was a Final Four contender. So I was quite wrong about that. Um, we can get into that in a minute, but yeah, basketball not so good. Yeah, at um, least he didn't write that. <laughs> <laughs> See, but that was the consensus opinion. It wasn't like we were talking about a fringe top twenty-five being like, oh, you know, this this team could really be as good as last year, which the one seed that lost in the Elite Eight. It's like, no, that was pretty much everybody was saying that, and everybody was wrong. Yeah, but we were uh, not outlier homers, we were just. If if all the media jumped off a <laughs> jumped off a cliff, would you go to Alex? That's that's all I've got to say to that. Um, yeah, I I think uh, I probably would. <laughs> if if um, John Rothstein told you that there that that he was gonna gonna go off a bridge, would you? Yeah, there's probably some real cool merch uh, to be had. With John Ross. <laughs> yeah, there's um good luck texts to coaches in the morning. There's you know <laughs> auto tweeting bits about each program every time they win against like Maryland Eastern Shore or something. Uh, to circle it back though, I do have a friend of mine. I, I'm not sure if he's a listener. His name is also Alex, and that guy is maybe the only guy I knew and I talked to you know consistently about Michigan football who stayed in Jim's corner and had, had complete and total faith in Jim. And uh, yeah, I texted a little bit with Alex after the Ohio State game, after the Iowa game. And it is cool to see a quote-unquote Michigan man uh, lead us there. Yeah, it, it really was. Um, Dan, your uh, your big mood is completely inscrutable to me. So uh, <laughs> I, I would like to, to get an explanation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I'm using this to talk about something totally different. Um, it was either this or the, uh, the Kevin James, um, Sean Payton uh, movie that's coming out next year, um, which we can talk about another time. That's, that's another uh, insane God, yeah. thing I saw on Twitter today. <laughs> um, but Who let's, was let's... cast as Greg Williams? 
That's my question. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get, yeah, I mean, oh God. Okay, I can't get too into this because like I'm, I've been losing my mind about this Kevin James movie all day, but I, I have something way funnier to talk about. Um, so as, as, as we, you know, we're just talking about it and as you guys know, early uh, signing day, which has officially become like the, the main signing day now um, is tomorrow. Um, and, you know, so recruits all over the country are kind of like, you know, making their final decisions about where they're going to sign, whether they're going to wait for the new, you know, for the late signing period, you know, whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, you're seeing a lot of flips, a lot of, a lot of commits wavering, you know, like verbal commitments don't really mean anything. Like it's, it's, it's recruiting's crazy, um, you know, because it's all 17 and 18 year old kids, you know, trying to figure out the, you know, the biggest decision of their lives, all while being influenced by, um, you know, uh, coaches and uh, bag men and, you know, uh, handlers and all that. Um, but something extremely funny happened today. Um, and that is that uh, an Iowa offensive line commit, um, you know, apparently is wavering on his commitment, but not because he's, he's uh, thinking about committing to another school, um, but because uh, he is thinking about not going to college anymore and becoming a farmer instead. Um, and, uh, that's an incredibly, (laughs) it's an incredibly Iowa thing to happen. Um, and I was thinking about like, you know, him having like a hat ceremony where (laughs) he's got like an Iowa hat on this. I I tweeted this earlier. So if you, if you read all my tweets, this is not going to be a new uh, new joke, but (laughs) I'm going to make it twice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but uh, I was thinking about him having like a hat ceremony where it's like Iowa, Wisconsin, and then like just like a, a, a hat made of straw. Yes, and like a straw a, a little, hat. Yeah, 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 a straw hat. Because, um, you know, that's that. And he, he picks the straw hat because he's going to go be a farmer. Um, anyway, very uh, funny. Alternately, uh, have somebody come out uh, or have somebody bring out like Iowa gear and then just like run over it in a tractor. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, that is my big mood. Um, I think that's very funny, um, and I respect that farmer, that that you know, future farmer, so much. Um, and uh, I think that two twenty four seven should put, um, you know, like I don't know, like the farming class on twenty four seven in the rankings. Like he should be listed as a commit to farming, um, and, and that they should be they should get a, a ranking in the in the Big Ten recruiting rankings. So. Um, anyway, that's my big mood. <laughs> it's it's a good one. That, that I'm, I had no idea. I just saw Iowa farming commit on on the show notes. <laughs> it was like, what in the? I I, I haven't been online much today, and I, I took a day off being online. Well, don't worry. I was online a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's why we keep you around, man. <laughs> being constantly online. Yeah. Did you guys hear that an Iowa offensive lineman last offseason injured himself in a hay baling accident? So I feel like they could theoretically farm and play football. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I feel like I feel like, you know, two sport athletes are rare um, <laughs> in in nowadays in the NCAA. But yeah, I think that I think if anyone can pull it off, it's uh, it's Iowa. I mean, like they should. I mean, I feel like being an Iowa football player is spiritually being a farmer. Um both are just like, you know, backbreaking labor, um, you know, very outmoded um, and just like kind of a thankless job. <laughs> Harvesting field position. Yeah, right. Exactly. Oh, man. There are like several Kirk Ferentz jokes that I absolutely cannot make right now. So we're going to move on. Um, God, sorry. Um, my big mood is... Uh, I guess a, a long Michigan basketball metaphor that I accidentally played out in real life. Um, 
like several months ago, uh, my uh, girlfriend suggested going to a uh, Crankbin concert in Royal Oak as uh, uh, on what ended up being last Friday uh, as kind of a celebrate. Um, it's right around my birthday. It was on our six month anniversary. It was, you know, kind of celebrating the end of football season or so we thought um, at the time that I uh, um, agreed to do this trip and we got the tickets and everything. Uh, let's just say I was not expecting Michigan's football season to extend uh, to a Big Ten championship game. So I was kind of assuming I would have like a very easy weekend and maybe even a week off before uh, doing this. That didn't happen. Um, so instead, it was kind of a full week led up to it. And then uh, we took a, a not going to say which ride sharing service because uh, nobody's given me money. Uh, to Royal Oak and went out, got some dinner. Um, and it had been a long time since I have uh, attended a concert, uh, probably six or seven years at this point. It's just uh, um, live music used to be my thing. And then it, it got more and more difficult to kind of not crash afterwards. Um, and so, uh, I kind of dialed it back, but I wanted to kind of see how things had progressed. And uh, we had kind of spaced things out during the day. So like we kind of thought we had this thing planned and like really expected this to work out. Like we got in at like three o'clock, checked into the hotel, had time to sit down for a little bit. Then went to dinner, came back to the hotel, got to hang out for a little bit longer, uh, take a nap, like really take it easy. But then we went to the concert hall right at door open, which was our first error. Uh, get in from a very long line because they have to check to make sure that everybody is vaccinated or has a uh, negative COVID test from the last like day, which was nice. Um, and otherwise, I would not have been there. Uh, and, uh, got in, got through a pretty long line for merch, got a shirt, you know, was ready to experience, uh, a band I really like. And, you know, finally, you know, sit through a concert for the first time in a long time. That used to be a big part of my life. And then the opener came on and while they were not bad, uh, they, played a slightly uh, screechier version of uh, psychedelic rock than, than the headliner. And uh, I just like immediately started feeling a migraine come on and was just done. So uh, for my first concert in six or seven years, I did not actually see the band for which I bought a t-shirt. Uh, it, it, the plan just went completely awry pretty much from the beginning of stepping into the concert hall. And I don't know. It, it kind of, as I'm sitting, I was always sitting watching the Michigan Minnesota game with like a throbbing headache for like the third consecutive day. Um, it, it felt like I had, had kind of lived out the early season Michigan basketball experience of high hopes. Uh, and then um, having some predictable things, but you weren't sure whether they would all come together, um, coming together and uh, making everything pretty freaking miserable. 
So that's my Michigan basketball metaphor. Hope you all liked it. Um, on that note, Alex, you ready to talk? There's also a, a, another roundabout way for you to talk about being old on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was uh, unfortunately um, one, one more way in which I could actually own myself instead of having you guys do it. So I guess, uh, <laughs> guess I got that going for me. Yeah, it's not experience watching the Minnesota game was pretty shitty. I actually was like 95% of the way back from Florida driving all the way with just me and my dog. And, uh, I decided to take two hours out of my journey to, uh, sit at a mostly empty B-dubs, spend $30 and watch Ooh. us completely fail minute to like stop Minnesota from feeding us buckets, like possession after possession. So that wasn't fun. No, um, Michigan is coming off a 75-65 home loss to a Minnesota team that brought back nobody from last year's team and turned over their coach. Some of that is some addition by subtraction, but um, and they, they have gotten off to a surprisingly decent start, but that is a team that you've got to take care of at home if you have uh, non-bubble tournament aspirations, I would say. And uh, given Michigan has whiffed on really every opportunity to chalk up a serious quality win so far. Um, they're in a much different position than we expected them to be early this season, heading into the season. And yeah, I'm a little uh, surprised you said the B word bubble there, because I remember Dan um, sounded the early alarm on that dreaded B word. Um, and you and I were originally like, oh, you know, we got, we got some time. And then generally like, Eventually, I started kind of feeling it, and then, yeah, it sounds like you kind of feel it now that this team, far from being a Final Four team, is a team where it's like, are they going to make the tournament? Like, the fact that we're asking the question now really speaks to how far things have fallen. Yeah, because I think when we first had that discussion in private, it was after the North Carolina game, because, you know, losing by 21 to UNC in a game where Michigan just couldn't get stops and couldn't score it didn't look good and it, it it's not like North Carolina is a top 10 North Carolina team this year. It's a top 25, top 30 North Carolina team this year. And uh, I, I mean, I expected growing pains with this team. I, you know, Musa Giobate has been in and out of the lineup a little bit. They're breaking into new point guard again. Uh, they're relying on a bunch of freshmen. So I was ready to be pretty patient. And then that Minnesota loss, um, not only, raise continued red flags about the defense, but it also is just yet another loss that Michigan has to overcome. And they're, they're running out of uh, relatively ugly losses that they can take without um, really having to dig out of a hole to have a decent tournament resume. I mean, Ken Palm currently hasn't projected at 19 and 12, 11 and nine in the big 10. And that's with their, top three, I believe, preseason rankings still baked in there a little bit. So that's come down a lot. And uh, I mean, I do still think this team is going to be significantly better in March than they were the last couple months. And that um, there's going to be improvement, hopefully sooner rather than later, but they're just running out of margin for error at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of weird to say because it feels like the season is still so early. I mean, it is so early in the yeah. season, but um, it's it's not so much that 
I'm not so doom and gloom in terms of like, oh my gosh, like this disaster. Like, I mean, it is a disaster, relatively speaking. I mean, this is pretty, pretty below uh, preseason expectations, but I'm not like, oh, well, you know, this is a, uh, the, the program is crumbling or, you know, like, I don't, I don't believe in Juwan Howard anymore or anything. I think a lot of the things that happened um, that have happened so far this year are kind of unfortunate and just sort of, you know, couldn't have seen them coming. Um, couldn't have seen, you know, several players just straight up playing very badly. You know, I mean, that's, it's kind of tough to overcome. Um, I, I'm more of the mind that I think this team will get better. I mean, they almost have to get better. It's just, they don't, I mean, like you said, Ace, like they just don't have that much time to do so. I mean, even if they improve to a big 10 average team starting right now, um, 500 in the league at this point may not be enough to get them in. So it's, and right now, I mean, it does not, based on what I've seen so far, this doesn't look like a team that's in the top. I mean, this might be one of the bottom, you know, three or four teams in the league right now. I mean, based on what we've seen, I, I mean, they, they lost to Minnesota who we all assume was going to be, you know, like last place with a bullet and they lost yeah. at home comfortably. They Minnesota was supposed to be absolutely terrible. And I think, you know, watching that game, I hadn't watched them before that game actually, but uh, I didn't think that they were ads as bad as advertised. I think some of those um, transfers in from mid majors battle and Willis, especially are like pretty decent players. I think they're going to be competitive, but yeah, to your point, Dan, definitely not a top half team in the conference right now, third of the way through the season. Sure, say it improves to a top half of the conference team by February. Yeah, 10 and 10 in the league. We just lost, you know, what you would think is one of the easiest wins in the conference, Minnesota at home. And yeah, if they get to 10 and 10, it might depend a lot on who is in the 10 that they win. Um, Because, yeah, they don't have any marquee wins, the quad one wins from uh, non-conference play. So you might need to beat a Purdue or another team that, I mean, I don't really think any teams in, as an aside, I don't really think any of the teams in the big 10 look especially great besides Purdue. I think Ohio state could be pretty decent Maryland, even worse position than us. Um, did you guys talk about Mark Turgeon yet? Do you guys want to have a brief aside there? Or do you just want to keep it moving? <laughs> we should probably keep it moving, but um, he's gone. I mean, you know, that it, it's a weird circumstance for his exit just kind of piecing out early in the season but it seems like it's set up well for it to transition over to Danny Manning and I don't know uh, I always thought Turgeon was uh, so hated on and, and, and fairly so in a lot of respects that he almost became a little bit underrated just because Maryland would at least as a regular season coach but this year, the regular season has started very poorly. So um, it was probably time for him to move on. Yeah, the timing of it kind of surprises me. Um, I think they were really upset with getting a B grade instead of a, an A minus or an A. And it got so toxic. But Michigan isn't the only team underachieving, I guess, is my point. And this team does have the talent to take a step forward. It looks really incohesive. I'm both sides of the floor right now they're not they I mean they I feel like in games where Michigan shoots well and can knock down a couple threes especially early um that papers over a lot of this team's sins but then if you have a game like Minnesota where we 
you know, it took 30 minutes to hit the, the first three of the game, right? That's doesn't give you much room for error when you just can't really execute well on either side of the floor. Yeah, they were three for 15 beyond the arc against Seton Hall, a game they lost by two points, one for 14 against Arizona in a game they lost by 18, five for 16 against North Carolina in a game they lost by 21, and three for 18 against Minnesota in a game they lost by 10. Shooting isn't the only culprit, uh, but it's not helping. It's definitely not helping, and also not helping I mean, is when the you... fact that Michigan doesn't really have a point guard right now, or at least not one that is uh, making raising the level of play of the offense, because Devontae Jones has been a pretty massive disappointment, uh, it, it's safe to say, so far. Uh, his defense has been a disaster. Um, I don't know what the heck that one NBA scout was watching, but that's going to be a real mysterious, weird thing for a long time that the word out of the combine was that he was a good one-on-one perimeter defender because uh, that really has not been the case so far. And he also has a turnover rate that's very close to his assist rate. He's four for 16 on three-pointers. Uh, the one thing he's doing the ball doing well is rebounding, uh, which fine, I guess, but um, not really the thing you need the most from your point guard. And then Frankie Collins is still a freshman who at least is providing a, a higher level of play on defense, but he's pretty much the same in terms of turnovers and he is not a shooter. He's, he's kind of like uh, what freshman Xavier Simpson was like, except uh, with some more athleticism. And definitely a lot more aggressiveness. Um, yes. People go under screens uh, with Collins and with with Jones, really. So that helps clog up the spacing. Um, Collins can get downhill, but finishing at the rim at his size, even with his you know vertical and his, I guess, confidence or aggressiveness, um, you know, that's not something you can live off of well, as an part's o- been offense. That okay, but he's 7 for 17 yeah. from the line. Right. And um, to your point about Jones, like one-on-one defense, like he is not the only one that gets beaten off the dribble consistently, um, picks up, you know, poor fouls. I think just, yeah, the, the team defense fell off so much from last season. And like in hindsight, maybe you could have thought, you know, all right, Franz Wagner, he was, you know, lottery pick one of the best rookies in the NBA and a guy that really impacted the game in a way that you didn't really see all the time in the box score. Um, Isaiah livers, another good wing defender, Shondi Brown, great defender. Um, you're replacing him with, you know, freshman Caleb Houston, who has looked like a freshman out there. You know, he's obviously talented and I think he could be the player that might improve the most throughout the season, but, um, defensive drop off there. Uh, Terrence Williams had a tough time against Minnesota. And, you know, you gotta, gotta be able to guard Minnesota. Um, and yeah, we haven't really seen Zeb Jackson or Kobe Bufkin emerge as rotation pieces. Um, I forget who I saw talking about this, but somebody suggested that Eli's defense might've fallen off a little bit because he's trying to tell everybody what to do while playing defense. That might've been me. And (laughs) yeah, that it could explain a lot. Like, I mean, honestly, and you know, Hunter Dickinson, I think he's been like pretty decent, but we have like kind of panicked and tried a lot of ball screen coverages and there's not a lot of those, you know, he's, he's a drop coverage big. And when you're a drop big that, you know, your perimeter defense can't contain anybody off the dribble. It's pretty tough, especially if you're not an above the rim player. So I think the defense 
has a lot of problems. I think, you know, they can improve from like an execution standpoint, but um doesn't look like it's going to be a top 25 defense. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, think one of the big no, – sorry, go ahead, Dan. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I mean, I feel like the, 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 the offensive end of the floor, I feel like if – if some, if we can get like one or two people to start shooting consistently, um, I think they can figure some things out because Hunter Dickinson actually has kind of taken a step forward, which is, it's unfortunate that like, you know, we've, we've sort of wasted that because he's, he's hitting mid range really consistently and he's actually hitting a, 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 the best clip on the team from three. So, you know, I feel like if we can space the floor just a little bit more on offense, um, that can be, you know, it can be, they can be decent on that end defense feels to me like, a lost cause to a certain extent this season, because there's just way too much wrong to really feel like it's going to get to a point where it's acceptable. See, I don't necessarily agree with that just because I think even as ugly as it looks at points, um, I mean, we've already seen some improvement from Caleb Houston in terms of his on ball defense, at least in terms of at least sticking with guys. Uh, Now that improvement has been from like, really, really bad to simply kind of bad. Uh, But that is still improvement. And we know Eli Brooks could be a significantly better defender than this. Uh, Musa Giovate is going to play significantly more as this team goes forward. Um, And I think Musa should be playing more and should be playing a big role, but it kind of hurts on offense when he's playing the four, I think. Yeah, it would hurt more if Michigan was getting anything out of Brandon Johns, but they're not. So I yeah, just don't people see... don't really respect Johns as a floor spacer either. Which you know, teams are bringing the hard double on Hunter. Michigan has done some things to try to combat that a little bit. Um, but yeah, I think Diabate he's a really good defender and he has really good tools, but he has a long way to go. Um, you know understanding how to execute scheme on both ends of the floor. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's looking pretty like, I'm not willing to like punt on this season or anywhere close yet, but a couple more games like that Minnesota game. And I'm going to be really concerned. And like Dan said, not for like the future of the program, but like this team, Um, I know you have mentioned the 2017 team, um, which started out. uh, Was that, that was the plane crash team, right? Yes. Yeah, which started out the season, you know, pretty mediocre, had a really rough January in the big time, lost at home to a Penn State team that was not good. And then yeah. um, turned it around, made the, you know, won the big time tournament, uh, acquitted itself quite well in the NCAA tournament. So that's theoretically possible for this team. This team has the upside. Um, I had actually been thinking back to other previous B-line teams and some other um, teams in the big 10, but sometimes a team can turn it around like that. And sometimes it can be a 2010 type season where um, if you guys recall uh, that was right after Michigan had broken the NCAA tournament drought, um, had two stars coming back and Manny Harrison to Sean Sims kind of wonky from the beginning. It didn't have final four aspirations where everybody was like, this is going to be a good team. This is going to be an NCAA tournament team. And they finished with a losing record and missed the tournament. Um, tragically ended its season on a buzzer beating loss to Ohio state. Um, So I think there are a lot of places that I think there's a wide range of potential outcomes in this team, because just as likely to me um, as the 2017 outcome is the uh, 2010 outcome. Yeah. um, 
I would say that Michigan's talent level is much closer to 2017 than 2010. Uh, and actually probably higher than either of yeah, those teams, obviously. Definitely higher. Um, I mean, 2017 had two seniors and a junior in the starting lineup and a sophomore Mo Wagner, which helps a lot. But I mean, that team for, as a reference point, started the season 14 and nine and uh, four and six in the big 10. That was where they were at when they uh, had a hideous defensive performance at home and they lost to a pretty crummy Ohio state team that kind of reset the alarm bells that uh, went off after the uh, Maverick Morgan game. So uh, at that point it was looking very, very bad for Michigan. And after that, they lost twice uh, before the sweet 16. So uh, it can come out of nowhere. Uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm almost trying not to do too much of a like nitty gritty breakdown of this team, because when it comes down to it, they've played 10 games. Um, that's just not many basketball games. And it's very hard to take much out of a 10 game sample with a team that's still trying to figure out their rotation. And at this point, they could go in a number of different directions. I, I mean, I don't imagine that Brandon Johns is going to hold on to his spot in the rotation if he continues playing like this. Um, there's also the chance that, uh, you know, we see the Brandon Johns that we saw at the end of last season. Terrence Williams might get more minutes. Those uh, defensive breakdowns against Minnesota, I believe, were more with him at the three than him at the four. So perhaps there's an opportunity for him there. Um Maybe Michigan tries to simplify things for Diabate by playing him at center more often and having it be more of a Purdue-like split where they get the most out of him and Dickinson and kind of shorter, high-volume spurts. Yeah, I think that's kind of an interesting question because I... I do think they are compatible. And at the end of the day, you know, Michigan is a team that has way more talent than I think even 2017. Uh, not many teams have a Hunter Dickinson or a Musa Diabate. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's hard to learn two positions as a freshman, you know, like. And he played center in high school. So I right. think there is, and, and it's just, I mean, when you're at the four, you kind of have to learn how to guard actions for both bigs and wings. And so you have to be both a big man and a perimeter player. Giovate is not that comfortable on the perimeter. And it might make sense, more sense for him to be at the, at the pivot and just live with, okay, Dickinson's going to play fewer minutes, but then he's going to be fresher when he's out there. You're not going to have to worry about potential foul trouble as much, and you can kind of unleash him. Um, but it's not an ideal solution, but at this point, uh, there aren't a lot of ideal solutions when uh, the, you know, the guy you kind of expected to be your third big man has just been MIA all season um, with Brandon Johns. And except against Nebraska, we just, yeah, we need to play Nebraska every single game for Brandon Johns God, to become be nice. the best Brandon Johns he can be. I'm still holding my Brandon Johns stock. I have a uh, diamond hands on my Brandon Johns stock. <laughs> Absolutely <No. laughs> terrible time to unload that stock. I think if, yeah. you, if he strings together a couple nice games in February, you can sell, you know, recoup your losses. Oh, brother, I'm selling the stock next time he hits a three. Um, it's, <laughs> it's, I got to unload that shit. Um, but uh, let, let me ask just one more question before I think, you know, we, we move on from this. Um, do you put any of this on? I know a lot of this is like new players trying to come together. Do we put any of this on Juwan from 
the perspective of it feels like roster construction is not there's not enough shooters on this team. I mean, I know Caleb Houston not being the shooter he was he was advertised to be is a big part of that, but do we feel like you know he does seem to have recruited a certain type of point guard, especially that is not necessarily a shooter? Um, do you do you see any of that is on him, or is this more just like players coming in below expectations? That's a really good question. I think to me. And this is just how college basketball is going to be moving forward with the transfer portal. But to me, um, incredible amount of turnover from last year, which really wasn't his fault because, you know, you had a couple of veteran guys who left, um, basically had to overhaul most of the team. Shudder to think where this team would be if Eli Brooks hadn't decided to come back to Michigan. That's kind <laughs> of a scary thought. Um, but, you know, the, the talent is there. Like, I don't really have any qualms with this recruiting strategy. I think people can maybe speak to the X's and O's better than me. Um, But again, Minnesota wasn't beating Michigan with X's and O's. Um, They were going one-on-one with guys and you recruit those guys. You think they're going to be good at defense. You try to coach them up and, you know, you give up however many baskets in a row. Um, I don't necessarily put that in the coaches. I think, one thing that, yeah, this, the lack of shooting and the, the poor spacing was something I was kind of worried about with Jawan at the beginning, um, you know, when he was first hired. And, you know, now that Livers is gone, he was a key part of last year's team. I think, um, yeah, Jones, not really a good, a good shooter. Collins, uh, yeah, that that could be the, the biggest thing to blame him for. But to drop from top five team to, like, maybe a top 40-ish team, uh, ultimately is on the coach. But because of how well Jawan had done in the first two years, I would give him a pass. Yeah, I mean, you go and look through pretty much any program in the country, even the ones that are at the very top. And unless you're Gonzaga and you play in the WCC, which is never going to compete with you, um, there aren't a lot of teams that don't experience some sort of dip that even gets them out of the NCAA tournament. I mean, there was the infamous Kentucky team that lost to Robert Morris in the first round of the NIT, um, despite having, you know, a bunch of future NBA talent on that team. Uh, There's just, it's very hard to anticipate the development of young basketball players and how they'll fit together and getting it right every year is really difficult. Um, yeah, I actually wanted to say um, this is, you know, un- very unlike me to say something nice about Tom Izzo, but this does kind of make me appreciate like the the tournament, well, even though the tournament streak ended last year, yes. um, since we know, we all know that Michigan State lost a play in game, therefore they are out. Um, we've been over this, it's science. Um, but to, for, to have that tournament streak last as long as it did is really, you know, I mean, it it does, I, I've only known Michigan as like a basketball power Um because I didn't really, I didn't even watch Michigan basketball as long as I've watched Michigan football. Um, but it is, you know, it, it is something to, you know, to 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 have a team that's consistently at the level where you know you're making the tournament every year. So, um, not that this team won't make the tournament. I'm not giving up on it yet. But uh, it's consistency is hard in all sports. I feel like I've got a new appreciation for that, given um, you know many things that I was wrong about over the course of the last six months. <laughs> Yeah, and to your point, um, it was the weird COVID year, but Duke and Kentucky also missed the tournament last year. Um, it, yeah, I mean, who knows what shakes out this season? I think 
it's too early to start talking about next year's team, but it is a very young team and there are guys who will be, you know, multi-year program guys in there. And I think, um, to write them off completely, what even, you know, regardless of what happens in the next couple months, um, I, I think that would be wrong, but yeah, like you said at the, at the top ace, um, pretty much worst case scenario for what we could have expected. Hopefully losses or hopefully games against, uh, Southern Utah, IPFW, UCF, Rutgers go according to plan before a, a game against Michigan State in January. Um, there should be team opportunities for this team to pick up good wins and make the tournament. And then, yeah, if you're looking at a team that comes close to reaching its potential, again, with players like Hunter Dickinson, Diabate, um, Caleb Houston, I think he has a lot better basketball coming this season. Yeah. Uh And yeah, the point guard situation is something you hope gets fixed out between Jones or Collins or both in some capacity. Um, I I don't, I don't think Jones, I think he's a better player than what he showed so far. I'll just say that Um, he's had to change his game a lot. Sometimes that works out like Mike Smith, who is a really good player on both ends, you know, despite being pretty short. Um, And sometimes there's Jaron Simmons who actually is part of the basketball staff now, (laughs) but if you remember transferred in from Ohio, um, and was a, a pretty high-volume player there. Yeah, kind of became the third point guard on a on a real good Michigan team. Um, so, yeah, who knows? Uh, the I guess Seton Hall, that is a game that, in hindsight, you can't really afford to lose, but because you had it won in the second half against a pretty good team. Um, Arizona could be a Final Four team, so it's like, okay, that's an understandable loss. That's not going to look bad on the resume. Even at North Carolina, like – the way it went down and how uncompetitive Michigan was, it looked really bad. Not, not a bad loss. Um, Minnesota is where you start to worry a little bit and yeah, we'll see. All right. That is about all we need to talk about hoops at this point. Um, If you are looking to get some last minute holiday shopping done, uh, homefieldapparel.com is uh running low on uh some of your favorite items so get on it um especially if you want kind of a a, a hoodie sweatpants um fortunately the michigan joggers had sold out pretty much immediately i got my hands on a pair and uh they're everything i i, I dreamed they would be um but they're they are doing uh everything they can to get shipping out in a hurry, I've gotten a pretty good turnaround time on my last couple orders, despite supply chain madness. So use promo code Bucket Problem for fifteen percent off your first order from HomeFieldApparel.com, and yeah, get some Christmas gifts that uh, people will uh, will definitely appreciate for being uh, the most damn comfortable uh, and pretty cool looking uh, licensed collegiate apparel out there. With that, we are moving on to. Our early, early signing day thoughts, because we are recording this uh, the evening before early signing day. So the letters of intent are not in yet. Um, There are some recruitments left to be done. But for the moment, Michigan has uh, 20 commits in the class. They are ranked ninth in the 247 team composite, third in the Big Ten. They have an in-state five-star in gross points, Will Johnson, who uh, might see the field pretty immediately at cornerback. And um, also of note, uh, Michigan would probably be ranked higher if uh, the recruiting 
uh, recruiting services landscape was what it used to be in terms of like having more than one service with a lot of scouts on the ground. But instead, Michigan has a class where 247, if you could look at their individual ranking, if the, their non-composite rankings, 247's own rankings, um, they like a lot of Michigan's, uh, particularly their high three stars, significantly more than particularly ESPN, which I don't even know if they have more than like one or two people working recruiting anymore. And I don't think they do much more than like watch highlight tapes. And Rivals, which at least does a little bit more than that, but has had some uh, significant turnover in terms of uh, that whole network. Um, so if you want to just look at the 247 sports rankings, you might, you might feel a little bit better about this class. And for a significant amount more on that, um, we're going to turn to our resident recruiting sicko, Dan. Yeah, so um, I made a pact for myself that I'm only going to recover. I'm only going to uh, pay attention to recruiting until I turn 30. At which point, it's it will be weird uh, for me to care this much about 17 and 18 year old decisions. Um, but for right now, I'm in the slop. Um, I'm, I'm slopping around, uh, reading all the, uh, the the nuggets and the um, the Sam Web uh, information that I can get. Um, and uh, I'm going to make some assumptions about this class. Um, I'm recording the, the night before uh, early signing day. Um, if I'm wrong about anything, you're not allowed to get mad at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that goes for all episodes. It, you're not allowed to get mad at us. We're all sweeties. We're all, we, we, all, uh, we, we try our best, and it's very mean when you get mad at us. Um, so uh, I'm going to just run through, run through positions real quick. At, uh, at quarterback, um, Jaden Denegal is kind of a guy that they, they settled on a little bit. Um, it's, uh, they, they're sort of trying to sandwich him between J.J. McCarthy and Dante Moore, um, who are both f- five stars. Uh, they're hoping to get Dante Moore in the 23 class. Um, so this is kind of a, you know, a, a sort of a high, high floor, low ceiling type prospect they're taking. But, you know, we've seen this work out, you know, with, uh, with the current starting quarterback, Cade mm-hmm. McNamara, who was – you know, kind of on the lower end of a, of the four-star scale and not many people thought he would, you know, be the starter. Um, also of note here, uh, Harbaugh um, is looking to take a second quarterback uh, in Virginia tech commit um, Alex Ogiri, who it seems like he's 50, 50 on whether he's going to flip, but he's kind of like a linebacker playing quarterback type. Looks like he's going to be kind of like a, a dual threat. Um, I think it's, it's interesting because I think that this whole thing that, Harbaugh's got going with um, JJ coming in on running downs um, is something that he might want to, he might be looking to um, uh, continue going forward, which I think is, you know, a good idea. If you're going to have like, I, I think that, you know, bringing in a running quarterback that can really take a hit and keep moving is, is something that we've seen, you know, even the NFL and, um, you know, could work uh, going forward. So interesting that they're trying to do that um, at running back, only one commit CJ Stokes, uh, kind of an underrated guy from South Carolina, but a guy that um, that uh, Mike Hart's super high on, and they they targeted super early. He reminds me very much of Asan Haskins. Um, you know, not going to make that lofty comparison yet, obviously, but power runner, upright runner, really like his film, and I, I really trust Mike Hart in terms of identifying running backs um, early. Um, wide receiver is an area where uh, it seems like they've really um, picked up some momentum due to the Ohio state game. Tyler Morris is a top hundred guy that had committed forever. He's kind of like a, a, a slot type. Um, and they're looking to flip uh, 
Amorian Walker, who's um, a stellar athlete uh, from Notre Dame, seems like really weird recruitment where um, the Notre Dame insiders are, are uh, convinced that he's going to stick with Notre Dame and Michigan insiders are convinced he's going to flip. So That's could be some very, <laughs> yeah, some very fun uh, Tom Loy tears on the timeline tomorrow, um, hopefully. So, you know, look out for that. Um, and then uh, Darius Clemens, who's a, a, a uh, on Andrell Anthony's best friend. He lives in port. He's from Portland um, top 150 guy that was committed to Oregon before the coaching t- change. So um, really looks like, you know, didn't look like they were going to pick up a, uh, have a really good wide receiver class for a while, but they've really picked it up at the end here. And, uh, I like all three of the guys they're, they're looking at. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of just a gravy here because the wide receiver depth on the roster right now is really, really strong. Um, tight end, uh, has one of my favorite recruits in the cycle, Colston Loveland, who's, um, it, an, an absolute monster uh, from you from I think you oh, no Idaho Idaho number one target in Idaho um, and uh, <laughs> he's Idaho. <laughs> number one player in our Idaho sorry um, and uh, he is an absolute like man amongst boys um, playing high school football in Idaho uh, his his huddle film is very very funny Idaho high school football is very bad um, and Marlon Klein who I believe um, is was originally from Germany. So we've got that, you know, immigrant. And you're not uh, going to read the name of his school. Um, No. (laughs) What is it? What is it? It is a Rabin gap. Nakuchi school. Yeah. That's, that's how, you know, you got an app, got a, got a good one. Um, Yeah, no, that's, that's a bizarre name for a school that does not roll off the tongue at all. Um, And uh, so they've, they've been looking for two guys at tight end for a while. Um, I think tight ends one area where I just pretty much blindly t- trust Harbaugh at this point, but I especially love Colston Loveland who um, uh, was uh, pursued pretty heavily by Alabama. So um, offensive line is, a, is actually the one area where you might have to wait until um, late signing day to really get a, a good picture. They're going hard uh, with a lot of tackles. It seems like, they feel pretty good about their interior line positions, um, but they're going after a lot, a lot of tackles in the cycle. So um, one one thing of note is that they did get a commitment from 2020 prospect. Um, oh gosh, I'm totally blanking on his name right Andrew now. Andrew Gentry. Andrew Gentry, six like six eight um, guy who went on a originally committed to Virginia in 2020, but went on a Mormon mission um, and now is you know 21 years old and, and looking and going to be a freshman and realized um, that he had committed Michigan. to Virginia to play football. <laughs> yeah. It was like whoa. Right. <laughs> and uh, and you know I think I think um, Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia is a Mormon, which is why he originally committed. So um, I think that they they looked around the country and looked for like what's the closest thing to a Mormon um, that we can find, and that was apparently Jim Harbaugh. Um, <laughs> I would so- love to hear Jim Harbaugh talk about Mormonism. <laughs> oh, he's probably got some very, I mean, yeah, look, Mormonism and Catholicism, as far as I'm concerned, are pretty similar. Um, don't quote me on that. I don't know anything about, <laughs> about that. Um, but um, I might have to cut that out, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, but <laughs> for, all our Mormon, for all our Mormon <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Um, look, I don't know anything about Mormonism, so, you know, I'm going to assume that it's, it's similar to Catholicism. Um, but anyway, I think that it's a really interesting prospect because he was originally a top hundred guy and he's going to be really old, which could be like, he could potentially play college football until he's 26. Um, and that's going to be huge for a, uh, 
for an offensive lineman. You know, that's a position where you really want like experience. So um, that could be a really cool thing to see, um, you know, over the next couple of years, but he's going to be pretty out of shape. So he's not going to be an immediate contributor, but uh, he's, he's, once he gets up to speed, you know, that could, that's one to look out for. Um, defensive line, uh, it looks like they're going to get a whole bunch of interior linemen. Um, Kenneth Grant's uh, a, like a, a true nose tackle with it, which this team really needs. Um, he's also out of Ohio, which is great to see us getting back into Ohio. Um, Dion Walker is a guy that I think the previous staff would have originally would have given up on. Um, he's an in-state guy that's been like, you know, going back and forth between Kentucky and Michigan. And uh, it's really good to see them, um, you know, them stick with the recruitment. I feel like the last staff would tend to like, if guys didn't jump on the Michigan offer, they would sort of give it up. Um, but it seems like he's trending back to Michigan. Um, we'll see where he commits tomorrow. Um, and then Derek Moore, who is uh, a guy that's kind of come out of nowhere. He decommitted from uh, Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley left, um, top 100 recruit, and uh, seems like he's trending towards Michigan um, over Old Miss. Um, the only hurdle there is that uh, I believe Biff Pogi was his high school coach and is currently on staff at Michigan. So like we have to get a waiver from the NCA, which is just such a ridiculous rule. Now that like kids are getting openly paid, you know, Texas A&M <laughs> is like, is just handing over big, like, like legally handing over, um, you know, stacks of cash to these recruits. But like, we have to get an NCAA clearance for, you know, someone's like someone's high school coach from like three years ago is on staff. It's just like totally ridiculous. At an absolutely um, massive football factory too. Right. So like the odds of Michigan right. recruiting a guy from St. Francis, we're always going to be pretty good. Yeah. And it's not exactly. because Biff Pogey is on staff. <laughs> and I mean, like, look, my stance on the whole uh, Michigan did this a couple of years ago where they would hire, you know, they would hire kids, parents and look like I am under no, uh, I'm under absolutely no, um, you know, uh, delusions that uh, hiring Rashawn Gary's like mom as like team mom or whatever she was, was any kind of legitimate position. <laughs> okay. But I really, I don't care. Like if you're willing to hire, like take on that salary and, um, and, you know, pay someone's parent to like work at the university, like who cares? I mean, these kids are getting paid at Alabama and getting paid at Clemson, like at least Michigan's trying to give it some veneer of respectability. So that's my short little rant on um, stupid NCAA rules. Um, Edge is one area where I think that this uh, class is a little bit lacking, but I like some of the developmental prospects they got. Um, They got Ethan Burke, who we'll talk about a little bit later, but he's like six, seven and used to play and play lacrosse. And it's kind of a late bloomer playing at a really high level in Texas. Um, I like him as a late pickup. Um, it looks like Cavante Henry, who is one of my favorite players in the class, uh, may end up flipping to another school because he was really close with Courtney Morgan, who is um, the uh, who, who was our director of recruiting and is now at Washington. Um, linebacker, they took three guys. Uh, uh, Jimmy Rolder is my favorite prospect there. Go watch his film. It's really, really good. Violent. Um, very violent. He's a very, very fast uh, linebacker. I feel like they, they feel good about what they have on the roster here. Both linebackers that, that are starting right now are very young. So this is kind of a position to watch for 2023. I think one of the guys they took from Belleville feels like a, um, maybe one that you don't take if he's not from Belleville might be trying to mend some bridges uh, there. So 
Um, and then secondary is, is where this class really shines. I mean, you know, secondary was, was an area of concern uh, to put it lightly before this season. <laughs> um, and it feels like, you know, things have really shored up DJ Turner and Vincent Grave really, you know, um, come out of nowhere to be, you know, legitimately very good corners in the big 10, but um, at cornerback, they get, they basically have uh, uh, Will Johnson, the aforementioned in-state five-star legacy. Um, I think he's kind of like, uh, he's he's a big, tall corner with speed. Um, he's going to be, in my opinion, he will be a uh, day one or two pick. Um, the only question is how elite his speed is, but I think it's, he at least runs in the four or fives. And when you're six, two, and you play as physical as he does, um, I think that I think that four or five, even if it's like at the low end, is enough. Um, they got Miles Pollard, who is, or actually, I think it's. I'm just, there's two Pollards. You were right, Miles. My, Miles, yeah, Miles Pollard, um, who's a guy that was being recruited by a lot of SEC schools. Um, he's a high three star, but I really feel like he's legitimately underrated. Um, I think he's got tremendous ball skills. I think he's. I think he's just. He's a guy they targeted early and have kept on. And I. I think he's going to be. I think I. I even maybe like him. His film even better than Will Johnson's, even though you know I know Will Johnson's a better athlete. Um, and then Cody Jones, who I see as kind of like the next Dax Hill. Um, you know, a little bit smaller, maybe more of a. Uh, more of a rod more than a Dax Hill, but I love his film. He's, he's kind of like got that Jordan Lewis twitchiness. Um, he's got elite speed. He looks great as a returner. Um, I think he's going to be really good. So they've got like two outside corners and a perfect nickel corner. Um, and then it's safety. Uh, they're going to be taking, um, Oh my gosh, I'm totally blanking on the Zeke guys. Barry. There's the Zeke Barry, who uh, is a top hundred kid. I think he's got tremendous film, elite athlete. Um, he'll, you know, kind of a in the Dax Hill role. And then it looks like they're also going to flip um, Clemson commit or former Clemson commit. Um, you know, high four star. Uh, oh my god, I'm I'm doing so bad on names here at the end. I'm so sorry about this. Um, it is. Uh, Keon Sab, who uh, is a longtime Clemson commit, um, kind of a bigger, he's sort of like um, Brad Hawkins sized, but with way more athleticism and speed. Um, you know, it, Clemson offers like three guys every cycle. So the fact that he was a Clemson commit, you know, says all you need to know about, you know, his, uh, his pedigree. So um, this is an elite uh, secondary class. And I'm really excited about it. So that is my, I'm, I'm now out of breath. That is my rundown of Michigan's class. Um, I think I think really the only areas that of, of concern overall are the offensive line, which you know has the potential to get a lot better, um, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, the edge, where I think that um, it, probably not the blue chips you would expect, but I think there's some guys that that could be really good, and I think that what Michigan does feel good about what they currently have on the roster. So um, I guess now we can maybe get in superlatives for the uh for everybody yeah um we'll just run through these pretty quickly i i consumed a bunch of huddle film uh in preparation for this episode so we might as well uh get these out there um first uh i think we all agree on who has the best chance to make an immediate impact uh when you bring in a five-star cornerback on a team that's probably going to i mean we'll see how guys use their COVID year and whatever, but Michigan's probably going to have at least a little bit of attrition at defensive back. And uh, Will Johnson is a guy who's just going to have to see the field because of how talented he is. 
Yeah, I totally agree here. Um, I, I don't even think like, I'm not sure where else uh, a freshman could make an impact. Um, I'm sure that some will, some will see snaps because they're going to be too good. Um, but right now Michigan feels pretty set at most positions. Uh, I think that Will Johnson's a guy that could really push um, Vincent Gray, even though I think Vincent Gray had a really good season and is, you know, could even improve more. Um, Will Johnson's just the type of talent that if, if he's ready to go, and I think he's also going to come and like practice during the bowl practices with the team, which is good to see. Um, so if he's ready to go by fall, like it's, it, it's, it's game on. He, he's just a superior athlete. All right. Our, our next one is favorite highlight film. I'm going with Zeke Berry. Um, he played at a massive school in Concord de la Salle um, out in California, a classic powerhouse uh, for a long time, plays big time competition. And what really jumped out to me wasn't just his overall athletic package, which I think suits him well as a modern safety who can also get down over the slot. Um, rivals actually ranked him as a four-star corner. Um but what was seriously encouraging to me was seeing him on, on a team that is a big-time football program with a lot of Division One talent. They were putting him in a lot of different positions in all three phases of the game to make as big of an impact as possible because they clearly just considered him their best athlete. And that uh, when that happens out for a kid out of De La Salle, um, you can expect them to be pretty ready to make a, in a, a high level contribution. And I, I expect Barry to be a really nice kind of um, modern defensive back in that kind of cornerback safety hybrid mold. Dan, I think you have to. Um, yeah. So I've got a uh, Jimmy Rolder is um, a guy that really blew up late with um, he was kind of a nothing recruit and Wisconsin, Ohio state, Iowa, Michigan, all swooped in at the end um, to, you know, offer him. I think he's out of Illinois. Um, and he is, uh, I'll not beat her on the bush. He's a white linebacker <laughs> and a white, a white linebacker from the Midwest uh, kind of evokes a certain stereotype of, you know, like uh, a tough Borland type. Um, but uh, that is just not him. You, you flip on the film for this guy and he's very instinctual. He is a violent hitter and he's also very, very fast. I'm, I was a little bit worried about this linebacker class. I, I, I like Deuce Spurlock. Um, I'm not sure about Aaron Alexander. I don't want to, you know, disparage the kid. Obviously they're like 18. They'll, they'll get a lot better at football, but I wasn't thrilled with either of them. Um, and I'm, I was absolutely thrilled when they got this kid. He's, he's my favorite huddle film to watch um, because it looks, he looks like the kind of kid that like he lines up against your high school football team and you just are having zero fun the entire game um, as he's hitting you over and over again. Um, but the, the most fun film to watch, as I mentioned earlier, Colston Loveland, who is um, really just playing amongst the Oompa Loompas uh, out in Idaho and just catching a thousand balls a game. Um, it is really hilarious to watch. I, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, that that one is fun. And Loveland looks like a, a really, a, 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 someone who could be really, really good. I mean, it, it's hard to tell when you're playing against Idaho competition, but there are certain things that uh, it doesn't matter who you're playing against. Um, and he's he shows a lot of potential. Yeah, I, I don't really f like follow recruiting much, but I do recall Connor saying on the podcast that his big mood was when Colson Loveland committed because 
of yeah that very reason he was absolutely dominant against you know hilariously undersized high school competition and sounds like Michigan won a head-to-head battle with Alabama and yeah should be a good player yeah um most promising developmental prospect uh I'm sticking at the tight end position because I I think Marlon Klein has a, a ton of upside I um I will admit I'm a, I'm a bit of a sucker for the uh, international prospect um, thing where it, well, and also just the, like the idea that if a guy has not played football for as long, then they have a, a lot of ceiling to explore. We saw that with David Ojabo. Um, there's also the Julius Welshoff path where that just hasn't translated as much, but not that he's necessarily been a, a bust so far, but he just hasn't broken through. Um, but with Klein, the dude's six six. He can really run. Uh, he's pretty skinny right now, but uh, I mean, Michigan has another larger tight end in the class, and Colson Loveland, Loveland, who can probably play a little bit more in line, and then you can use Klein as more of a uh, flex or move tight end. And I think he's going to be a real mismatch problem at that size with his athletic package. Once he adds, you know, fifteen twenty. 25 pounds so that um, he doesn't get blown over by pretty much any linebacker or even some safeties trying to jam him. But uh, uh, he's a guy where if you uh, let him develop for a couple of years and then throw him out there, I think he's going to be a matchup problem and one that allows you to still line up in some pretty heavy packages. Dan, you like, uh, even though you're not big on the Michigan's edge class as a whole, you have an edge player here. Yeah, so um, I, I'm, I'm not huge on Michigan's edge class, assuming that – I really like Cavante Henry, who it seems like they're going to lose. Um, but I, I think as far as developmental prospect, you know, one that I, I think you store away for a couple of years, Ethan Burke um, is a kid playing the highest level. He's playing out of Westlake, Westlake, Texas, which I believe is like in the toughest league of high school football, basically in the country. Um, and he's got like 14 sacks this year. He's six seven. He he looks like a beanpole right now, but they're gonna obviously put a ton of weight on him. Um, and he he played lacrosse. He like just started playing football um, like last year. Or he was injured or something. And I feel like that's a classic kid where he's he's a low three star, like a mid three star right now. You know, a true three star. But um, it's the kind of kid that recruiting services always overlook. Um, they showed him a lot of tape and they, and they apparently told him that they, they see him as in like, you know, the Aiden Hutchinson mold, which I'm sure they're telling every edge prospect right now, but nevertheless, <laughs> um, six, seven, like that's a great frame. He's got long arms. Um, I think he could be a really dominant pass rusher. Um, and I think also that lacrosse background seems to be like weirdly a really good omen for future NFL players. Um, which it, you wouldn't think so. Cause it's like, not always like the most, you know, athletically dominant sport, but uh, specifically for like pass rushers, apparently lacrosse is like such a, um, is such like a good thing to have, which I don't know why, but I'm, I, I think, I think Ethan, I think he's going to uh, uh, outplay his ranking at Michigan. Yeah. And it's worth noting with Burke that uh, he's one of those players where one of the sites in particular is weighing him down quite a bit because um he is the number 36 edge player on 247, which is a high-ish three-star. He's the number 22 weak side defensive end on rivals. Again, highest three-star. And he's the number 87 defensive end on ESPN, which is uh, we sort of know this guy exists. Um, 
So yeah, there's a lot of that in this class. Um, Miles Pollard, uh, the aforementioned cornerback, uh, Got one of those uh, ratings from ESPN. Same with Mason Graham, a defensive tackle. Uh, yeah, you can ignore ESPN this year, I think, just because yeah, they're yeah. ignoring recruiting. So it only makes sense to treat it in kind. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. I mean, I remember when I first started following this a little bit, um, ESPN was considered you know, one of the better sites. They had really good scouting reports, but it's just now it feels like they they're barely putting any effort into that. Like, I think I have watched more film on these players than I watch more film in general than I think ESPN has. Um, so yeah, generally I would say, I think on three recruiting is like the new site. Apparently they're putting a lot of work in. So, you know, on uh, 24 seven though, definitely has the best model right now because they're, they do a lot of work to project players into the NFL, um, which isn't perfect, but it is, you know, it's a good measure for like who's really getting the most talent. And they've been doing a really, really, really good job of uh, with their hit rate in terms of projecting like, you know, their top 250 players end up being like, you know, 50% end up getting drafted, which is, you know, when you think about the odds, that's, that's a pretty, pretty good percentage. Yeah. I'm hoping that on three develops to the point where they can uh, replace ESPN on the composite and make it a little bit more useful because right now, uh, ESPN, you're lucky to find a scouting report, and you're doubly lucky if it's from the last year. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's bad. We are actually going to do bull picks this time. Uh, we we teased some early lines last last week. Now we're actually going to pick them and also maybe comment on some of the movement. Our picks are brought to you by PointsBet. Download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BUCKETPROP to get 100% of your deposit matched up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, you must use the promo code BUCKETPROP. That is Bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet when you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it, and use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're going to skip the standings because they're the same as they were last week um, and get right into the games. First one up is Minnesota favored by three and a half against West Virginia over under 45 in the guaranteed rate bowl. Uh, this was at Minnesota minus four when we checked in last week. So that line has only has moved a half point uh, in West Virginia's favor. Um We've got uh, Connor has, even though he's not here, has put in his picks, so I will at least read them off for him. He says, roll go because the most PJ flex scenario imaginable is somehow getting to nine wins, including a rivalry win over the best team in the division, while still kind of sucking and being embarrassing at several points of the season. Uh, I agree with him, uh, both because of that hilarious factor, but also because uh, there's a really big gap between these teams in uh, Bill Connolly's SP+. Plus like it's it's over double digits so that that's a huge gap um that isn't explained by opt-outs or anything and also um one thing it might explain is that uh pj fleck did fire minnesota's offensive coordinator but a factor i think might come into play in this game is that his the replacement that he hired is uh one of his old offensive coordinators kirk chiraka who was on staff until recently this season at West Virginia. That seems like a competitive advantage when game planning against West Virginia. And I think that might actually make the difference for Minnesota here. Uh, 
Alex, what's your pick? I'm also going to go with Minnesota. I'll be honest. I don't know much about either of these teams, but uh, yeah, got to back the Big Ten. All right. That's that's certainly a stance one can take. Dan, how about you? Uh, I feel like P.J. Fleck weirdly uh, does good in bowl games, and I'm not going to look that up. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going with uh, I'm going with Minnesota here. Um, I have, this has got to be my worst betting team of the entire season because I never have a beat on what Minnesota is going to do. We've talked about this at multiple points of the season, how Minnesota is impossible to get a beat on. And I feel like <laughs> since all four of us picked them, they are guaranteed to just lose straight up. Uh, the, that, that's what it feels like here. Uh, next on, on the board is another one where we all picked the same team, but there's at least, I think, a little bit better of an explanation this time. This one is Maryland favored by one point against Virginia Tech in the Pinstripe Bowl. Total for this one is 55 points. This line, Maryland was a one-and-a-half-point dog at, at this point last week, but um, Virginia Tech fired head coach Justin Fuente. They've had a number of opt-outs uh, for this game. There might be more coming down the pipe. This line is on the move, so uh, if you're going to bet this one, you might, you probably want to grab it, I don't know, now. Um because I, I would suspect that this is going to continue moving in Maryland's favor. And also you, you don't want to have to um, give up too many points and uh, still continue betting on the Terps. Um, so we all think Maryland is going to cover a one point spread here. I don't know if we would be doing that if it were getting much higher than three, I think. Um, but uh it's tough when a team fires their coach and then has a bunch of kids sit out. It's the tried and true heuristic of like one team looks like it's clearly giving up. And sometimes you can tell that before the game. Sometimes you can tell that during the game, but yeah, I think we all kind of sense that vibe with Virginia tech. Indeed. Um, next one up is the music city bowl. Purdue uh, is a four and a half point underdog against Tennessee over under on of this one. Over under in this one is 63 points. Uh, I'm going boiler up because I am fading the public on this one. Uh, Tennessee is getting the the public money and they're freaking Tennessee. I just do not trust them at all. So while I also do not trust the boiler makers, um, I like fading uh, public money that doesn't seem to have much of an explanation other than that Tennessee Seems like they should be Purdue when you just look at those two programs' names on paper. But um, Tennessee's bad. And uh, while Purdue might also be bad, they're the ones laying the points here. So I'm going with Purdue. Um, Connor is agreeing with me here. He says uh, Tennessee blows and is only eligible because the SEC was down bad this year. That's a succinct way of putting it. Uh, Alex, you stayed away from the spread here and uh, went for the total. Yeah, I took the under on that. Um, I think 63 was pretty high. Uh, Purdue, you know, the iconic win over Iowa earlier this season has not matured well. Um, I don't think Purdue is an especially good team. Don't really think Tennessee is good either. Um, But yeah, under 63. Dan? Yeah, I'm going to go with Tennessee here, actually. Um, uh, These Indiana Indiana and Purdue um, have kind of taken turns – having like really, you know, promising seasons that end in like kind of weird blowouts to teams that are much more talented than them. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm going to take Tennessee um, and I don't feel really good about it. Cause I also think Tennessee is bad, um, but I feel like talent tends to weirdly shine through in these like lesser bowl games. 
Um, and I could see Tennessee, uh, you know, winning and covering on this one. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, next game up is the Peach Bowl and the game that has had by far the most line movement since last week. Michigan State was a four-point dog when we recorded um, a week ago. They are now two-point favorites because uh, while Kenny Pickett, uh, Pitt's Heisman finalist quarterback, has not announced officially that he is opting out of this game, that certainly seems to be the suspicion among uh, the people over at the sports books. And uh, he might not be the only one opting out for Pitt. So this line has moved a significant amount. Um, Connor's pick is still Pitt, uh, although his reasoning is that is it, it is an emotional hedge because it'd be much funnier if Michigan State won 11 games and no one noticed because the story was Michigan. I appreciate the spirit from Connor, as always. Um, I uh, took a look at Pitt's backup quarterback. It's uh, Nick Patty, who is a uh, uh, former UCF uh, player and then a Pitt player. Um, and He's experienced. He's stuck around as a backup. So I'm going to also ride with Pitt because uh, I don't know what motivation Michigan State has for this game necessarily. I'm not sure what motivation Pitt has either, but they're the underdog. And so I'm going to go uh, against a significant amount of public money again and, uh, and try to have it work out that way. Alex, you did the same thing uh, where you have aimed your aimed your money at the total. Yeah, I actually took the over in this one. It's one of those games where it feels really difficult to get a read on. Like, yeah, if Pickett's out, if Walker's out, both of these teams are going to look a lot different than they did during the regular season. But both teams played quite a few um, notable high-scoring games. So could be one of those fun bowl shootouts. Could be a 13-10 to 10 slog if... Um, if Pitt's backup quarterback is real bad, but who knows? Dan, uh, making it three for three on uh, pick and pit if we're going with the spread. Yeah, so this one's really tough because um, I Kenneth Walker almost certainly is not going to play. Um, that's what that's the buzz, uh, and Kenny Pickett's still on the fence. So that's like two Heisman finalists. Um, what I'm assuming must have been Heisman finalists uh, given the quality of their seasons <laughs> um, sitting out this bowl game. Uh, and, uh, but I think that the big matchup here is if Kenny Pickett plays, this is a really good passing attack against, uh, not at all, like the worst power five, like secondary in the country statistically. Um, and if Michigan State doesn't have Kenneth Walker, uh, that offense is going to be pretty pedestrian. Um, so yeah, I'm going to take Pitt cause they're getting points. It feels like. I don't know. I feel like I'm being suckered into this one. Um, and I feel like my record betting against Michigan State's also pretty bad uh, this year. So, but whatever. I'm taking Pitt anyway. Yeah, I think I ignored those same warning signs while uh, picking Pitt, but um, fuck it. <laughs> We're doing it. Um, Wisconsin favored by seven against Arizona State in the Las Vegas Bowl. The over under for this is a mere 42 points. Uh, Connor has picked Wisconsin because as he says, no pack 12 team wants that smoke fair this year. Um, I am going with the over because 42 is a really low total. And these teams have a significant amount of time to prepare, uh, real offensive game plans. So you hope at least those, uh, first scripted drives are going to be pretty dang good. And, uh, I don't know. I, I think Vegas is still 
catching up to the fact that Wisconsin's offense really did improve over the latter part of the season. Graham Mertz looked something other than uh, god-awful, and they were able to put up some points. So um, I, I, I am considering the over. Alex, uh, I think you're doing the same. Yeah, I'm also going with the over Wisconsin. Like you said, Wisconsin's offense is better than it was when they played Michigan. Um, Braylon Allen behind that offensive line is starting to run the ball a little bit. And worst case scenario, uh, Graham Mertz could throw two pick sixes again. So then the over would hit easily. I'm going with the over. I don't want to bet the line either direction, but yeah, 42 is low. Dan, you have my favorite reason for picking a spread this week. (laughs) Um, I said that uh, Wisconsin is going to cover um, because it's revenge for the spike game from like 2017 or whatever. I forgot about this completely. When they they went out to Arizona State and like the the, the, like refs didn't spot the ball or Wisconsin was supposed to have like a a shot at a winning field goal and the refs didn't spot the ball in time and they lost, which I think if that happened to a Michigan team uh, on the road um, in like a meaningful game, I would like, uh, I would make threats on Twitter that would get me suspended. Um, that would have been, I would have been so pissed. Um, but yeah, no, they're, they're going to get revenge for that game and cover um, uh, the PAC 12 stinks this year and Wisconsin's still very good. And um, even though they completely crapped the bet against uh, Minnesota, which I'm grateful for, because I'm glad that we got to play Iowa, not Minnesota, not Wisconsin. Yeah. This is a Paul Christ versus Herm Edwards coaching matchup. And I think I know which side I want in, in that one. Um, Penn State. I don't know, but well, I, yeah. <laughs> I tried to move so on sure. like right after saying that. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, no, you're not going to get away with that one. <laughs> man, Herm, really? Uh, brutal. Um, Outback Bowl, Penn State minus two and a half against Arkansas. Total for this one, 47 and a half. I just, um, I don't like any of this. I, I, Arkansas plays a pretty, um, man ball type of approach uh not exactly the highest tempo out there um penn state just seems to want to just get to the end of the season and be done with it at this point um i think sean clifford would appreciate uh a couple months of rest at this point and uh recovery recovery would be important and uh so i'm feeling a really gross under in this game um connor meanwhile is picking Arkansas, uh, quote, due to the vibe situation in Happy Valley, unquote, which, again, uh, totally fair. Uh, Alex, uh, also uh, liking the Hawks here. Yeah, it's kind of converse um, to the vibe situation in Happy Valley, but the vibe situation in Arkansas is actually pretty decent. Um, they were competitive with Alabama. See, they absolutely blew the doors off of what turned out to be a bad Texas team early in the season. And, you know, they took their lumps a little bit in the SEC, but I think that is a program that's trending in the right direction. And when a team like that faces off against a team like, to Connor's point, five situation isn't great. Penn State was pretty mid this year. Um, going with the Hogs. Dan, feeling the same? Um, I just want to say I like this matchup. I think, like, in terms of, like, it's a fun, uh, you know, Penn State versus Arkansas. I'm not going to see that too many times. Um, you know, blue versus Oh, red, you mean historically not with, like, these yeah. teams, these specific teams. No, no, okay. no. I think it's, I I think like, it's like a fun. You, <laughs> yeah. You're sicker than I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm going with Arkansas. Um, I feel like Penn State, by they like they're a super checked out team. Um, even if they're maybe the better team on paper, they, they seem checked out. And Arkansas feels like a team that's like 
going to be like, you know, uh, pumped up to play in a, a decent bowl game. Part of the reason these bowl games are uh, often kind of hard to bet is it's tough to figure out which teams are going to be actually motivated, but that one feels like you, you get a pretty good idea of it. Uh, this next one, um, I'm going to let Dan lead off the picks. I'm going to say this right now because he has the correct take on it. Um, the Citrus Bowl is Iowa as two and a half point underdogs against Kentucky, who is basically SEC Iowa with a total on this one of 44, which is somehow not the lowest thanks to Wisconsin, Arizona State. Um, Dan, take it away. I'm just so angry this game is happening. Um, I know we've we've said a lot of games are like gross this year. Like we might have overused that term a little bit. Um, this no, is the Big Ten West. Gross. The Big Ten West was gross this year. Iowa is just the most boring team in the country, and Kentucky is like not. I mean, it, like I, I'm look. I'm happy for Kentucky because they're like an underdog in the SEC or whatever. But that doesn't um, mean they're I, fun. That doesn't mean they're fun. They're not fun. Um, they're gross. This game's gonna be gross. Um, and I'm mad that it's happening. And as and uh, in protest, I'm not picking this game. <laughs> that's that's a I would say an entirely fair stay away. Um, Connor's pick is Kentucky because uh, quote to my knowledge, Brian Ferentz has not yet absconded from Iowa City to become a wandering bard. Unquote. Yeah, fair. Um, he has not done that. Uh, I. Um, did uh, what I thought was a fairly sick thing here and uh, went back and looked at uh, Iowa's recent bowl history. And it turns out these scores are surprisingly high. And that includes a uh, uh, 2019 Holiday Bowl uh, win over USC that was 49 to 24. That's their most recent bowl game, obviously, because of the uh, whole COVID thing. Um, they, uh, you know, 27-22 over Mississippi State in the Outback Bowl uh, on January 1st, 2019. Uh, after the 2017 season, won 27-20. Really, the only times where they're not um, putting up a decent total is when they get completely stomped. And that really only happened in 2016 against Florida or in the Stanford game where Stanford probably hit that over on their own. If you remember that Rose Bowl with Christian McCaffrey, that was really funny for everybody except Iowa fans. Um, so this is my extremely long-winded way of saying I'm picking the over because 44 is a pretty low total and Iowa in bowl games with a, a whole month to cook up something that, uh, maybe kind of resembles an offense actually sometimes puts it together. And on the flip side, teams that have a month to figure out how do we beat cover two on every single fucking play? Um, can put up some points against that defense because uh, they call cover two on every single fucking play. Um, all right, uh, as Dan said, fuck oh, this game. Real, real quick, <laughs> um, I did, I did pick Kentucky. Um, yeah, this game is absolutely disgusting. Mark Stoops is the most Big Ten coach outside of the Big Ten, possibly, and Iowa's offense is just abysmal. We saw that up close, but um, I think Kentucky can shut them down. Yeah, it's it's a gross game. Um, it's a gross, gross game. In a game that uh, at least the pundits expect to not be gross, um, Ohio State favored by six and a half against Utah, um, the Michigan of the West. Um, total of this one is 65 and a half. Uh, I'm going with uh, the under because I think that covers a lot of the possible ways that this game plays out. I could see Ohio State kind of having a, like, we're going to show everybody performance where they actually really shut Utah down. Um 
I could also see Utah turning this into a bit of a slog, um, or at least uh, stopping Ohio State in a similar way that Michigan did and running over them, making this a shorter game because they have a really strong ground attack. And Ohio State might be pretty demoralized given uh, uh, what happened against Michigan. So that's a pretty high total at 65 and a half. I like unders, um, and I'm taking that one. Connor has Utah all the way. He says, follow old man ball face. Alex, uh, you are the contrarian here, at least in terms of spread pickers. Yeah, I think um, opinion has swung too far against Ohio State. They're clearly the one of the most talented teams in the country, much more talented than Utah. And this is a game where if Ohio State plays well, like they're able to, I think they win pretty easily. So I'm going to go with the Buckeyes. I do think, you know, obviously – there is that question of like, how many opt-outs do you have? How mm. engaged is the team after losing to Michigan? Mm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think there's a chance that Ryan Day can get them up to play in the Rose Bowl. And if he does, they'll cover six and a half. I think Dan is feeling a little bit more of that cold winter breeze down in Chicago. And uh, <laughs> he's thinking that some guys might want to stay inside for this. <laughs> I feel like, so here's the thing. We've never seen an Ohio state team super demoralized. Like we, we haven't seen Ohio state in a bowl game um, uh, lo- after losing to Michigan since they played Florida in 20 in 2011, in which I'm pretty sure they got worked uh, by Florida. Um, but you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go back and look that up at all. Um, but I think they're going to be super demoralized. Um, you know, the Rose Bowl is a cool atmosphere, but I don't think they care at all. If they're not in the college football playoff, th- those players don't uh, are not going to get up. Um, and they're going to be like playing a super motivated Utah team that's going to run right at them. And I think they'll, they, they've got a long time to figure out how to like, you know, try to shore up their run defense a little bit. But I just feel like this team's going to like this is a game where Utah's going to be able to like really beat them down over the course of a game. Um, and it, and even if I'm wrong about who wins the game, um, Utah's getting almost a touchdown. So I'm going to I'm going to bet on Utah here, um, even though I feel like I am falling into like a, a narrative trap. Um, I I, uh, I don't care. I, I'm doing it anyway because I'm a hater. Uh, for the record, that uh, 2011 Ohio State team uh, lost 24 to 17 to a uh, what was also a six and six heading into that game. Florida squad starting John Brantley at quarterback. So that that's how it went the last time. Um, they had 299 total yards in that game. So um, I don't know. Enjoy that. That was a hideous football game, and that might be what we're getting here. Um, but interestingly that, that, that line has not budged, um, since last week. So even if there has been some, uh, popular opinion against Ohio state, I think their, uh, um, talent level and maybe their name value has helped keeping them as six and a half point favorites. I think the, uh, the disrespect that CJ Stroud suffered during the Heisman ceremony with classless Desmond Howard, uh, poking fun at his offensive line, that's going to fire up the Buckeyes. <laughs> That was a oh yeah we didn't we haven't even talked God we we got to talk about that next pod um, yeah we, we, we missed the entire Ohio State meltdown discourse that's feels like a missed opportunity by us but um we I got to say here for that he's our vibe yeah guy, you're right you're right Connor's such need terrible to, yeah. vibes coming out of Ohio, of Columbus <laughs> right now the whiniest people right now the the, <laughs> the fan media for Ohio State is incredibly shook it took one game and they are broken I mean it's the great. good news is the longer we wait the uh, more material we were going to accumulate because it is not really slowing down it's amazing um 
seriously, they're mad it was cold and that it was snowing. They they want to see what a neutral field uh, matchup would have looked like. I'm, I'm going to tell y'all uh, pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah, it was it was not snowing on Michigan sideline. They were also not cold. We, <laughs> we managed to turn the weather at Ohio State. Um, Columbus yeah. famously a warm weather locale. Uh, <laughs> Gosh, yeah. And I know that you wanted to move on to the Michigan-Georgia game, but yeah, C.J. Stroud saying that his Heisman moment was a touchdown that got called back for holding in the Michigan game and that they would have won had he scored. They That's scored just, later that drive. <laughs> it's just so funny to me. This is this is as great as I could have imagined the win, win over Ohio yeah, State to be. And I'm, I'm coasting on these fumes for a long time. Oh, same. yeah. I mean, just like uh, piggybacking off of that, like, who someone's got to like you got to know like as a competitor you can't even if that's how you feel which makes no sense by the way because again they scored like 10 seconds later but like even if that's how you feel you can't say that bro like that's just like the most it's the weakest that is the weakest shit i've ever heard (laughs) i'm i'm sorry it is so weak to say that like say anything else bro like it's that was that was hilarious yeah you could say my heisman moment was absolutely obliterating michigan state um there you go yeah would have been would have been legit instead he decided to draw more attention to uh a loss that he should probably want to move past um i don't want to rip on a uh college kid too much but at the same time man uh you know at least quarterbacks aren't the ones that tend to set the tone for the team or anything um Anyway, Michigan, eight-point underdogs against Georgia, over under of 44 and a half because both these teams have uh, pretty fucking awesome defenses, especially the Bulldogs. Um, this is, of course, the college football playoff semifinal at the Orange Bowl. I am going with the over because um, I'm a little too scared to pick Michigan uh, given Georgia's defensive talent level. And I think if the game gets away from Michigan early, it could really get away from them. But I, I don't see uh, with an entire month to prepare Michigan getting completely shut down on the offensive side. I think, uh, I mean, Josh Gattis just won the Broyles Award and, and he earned it over that last month of the season with the game plans he was coming up with. So, I mean, with a ton of respect to Georgia's defense, I think that both of these teams are going to be able to move the ball a little bit. And uh, 44 and a half is a, is a very low total. So I will go with the over Connor's pick. He says, I bet on Michigan all year and I'm not stopping now. That makes sense. Given the stat that Dan is about to break out right about now. Uh, Yes. Uh, Michigan is 11 and two against spread best in the country. Um, So I feel like I'm going to bet on Michigan here. Um, Do I feel great about it? Um, Not necessarily just because I feel like they're going to be playing a very motivated Georgia team that is probably the most, you know, probably the best team in the country as, as far as what they've done all year. Um, but you know, when I really think about it, uh, Georgia's offense is not as good as Ohio state's. It's very good. It's not as good as Ohio state's. So Michigan with a month repair should be able to hold them down. Um, you know, or at least, you know, uh, not let them run roughshod. Um, and, uh, I think Michigan will have enough drawn up that they can score, you know, at least like 20, 21 points, 24 points. Um, but you know, it wouldn't shock me if, if Georgia, uh, pulled away in this one, um, I'm not totally sure what to expect. I think that we'll get more into the preview of the actual game. I think the big thing is, you know, it's very possible that Michigan is totally unable to run on this defense. Um, and that would be, you know, a big problem, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so 
I, uh, I, I'm not hundred percent sure what to expect, but Michigan being 11 to against the spread and getting eight, eight and a half points feels good. Um, and, uh, you know, Georgia choked in the one real big game they had all year. So I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, is this, it's the question is like, is this going to break the trend of, of the college ball semifinals being complete laughers? Um, is Michigan closer to, you know, an Ohio state team that has played well in these games uh, in, in previous years, or are they closer to maybe um, a Notre Dame team that's been not as competitive in these games, even though they, you know, have a very good team. Um, it's a lot, much to consider. I don't know where I stand yet, but um, because I have to make a pick right now, I will bet on Michigan because this is a Michigan podcast and that's what you piggies want to hear. <laughs> Fair enough. Alex. Yeah, I like Michigan to cover. Um, you said that you wanted to be respectful towards Georgia's defense, which I uh, totally appreciate. I think that's the right course of action. I think there are a lot of very, very good football players on that defense. Um, I listened to your podcast with Ryan and Spencer, uh, esteemed Florida <laughs> grads. I really enjoyed that. That helped me through my drive back to Michigan. Um, so I want to hate on Georgia a little bit, disrespect the dogs. Um they had not played anybody really before playing against Alabama. Um, they were the number one team. People were talking about that being one of the best defenses in a generation, maybe one of the best defenses of all time. And while I don't necessarily think that Michigan can replicate the Alabama playbook that they used to put up 41 points and a bunch of yards on, on Georgia, I think that data point caused me to reassess quite a bit how I felt about Georgia and I don't know if Michigan wins this game. Um, I do think Michigan is playing their best football. I do think Michigan has at least, you know, maybe this is wrong of me to say, maybe this is being a homer, but I think when it comes to Michigan's defense against Georgia's offense, especially with a month, you know, the fabled month to prepare, I think um, Michigan will slow down Georgia quite a bit and can, you know, Michigan's running game, on the other hand, stay on schedule. Can Michigan find big plays in the passing game? Um, those are open questions, but yeah, Michigan's been great against the spread all year. Uh, great vibes coming out of Ann Arbor, and eight to me is is too many points to give. All right. Um, thank goodness I picked the total. Otherwise, we'd have a uh, a clean sweep of Michigan choices, and uh, they lose by forty. So. We got that going, um, and uh, you can't you can't be mean to us for that or anything. Like Dan said earlier, we are a bunch of sweeties. On that note, that's it for this week. Follow us at Bucket Problem on Twitter. Go to www.thebucketproblem.com. Subscribe to the newsletter and the subscriber only podcast, um, where you can hear the full version of my uh, um, Florida man's guide to hating on Georgia with Spencer Hall and Ryan Nanny. Um, that was an extremely fun podcast to do and will be uh, relevant and fresh all the way up until New Year's Eve. So um, that that's that's worth a, worth a listen and a subscribe. Um, do your holiday shopping at homefieldapparel.com. Use promo code BUCKETPROB on PointsBet. And uh, have a great week. Thanks for listening.